Welcome to One Move at a Time, the U.S. chess podcast that explores people and organizations who are advancing our educational mission statement of empowering people through chess, one move at a time. Our goal is to give you ideas and methods you can use in your own community to help you build chess in your area. U.S. Chess is a 501c3 nonprofit. You can find more information about us at uschess.org. You can become a member by clicking on the join button. And you can donate to our cause by clicking on the gift button. Thank you to USCF Sales for sponsoring this podcast. At the end of this recording, you can hear how you can win a $50 gift certificate to USCFSales.com. Now, let's welcome our guest to this month's pod. It's a pleasure to introduce Coach Jay Stallings to the January edition of One Move at a Time. Since 1994, he has taught over 40,000 kids to play chess at his California Youth Chess League, which is a California 501c3 nonprofit organization that has a mission not dissimilar to the U.S. chess mission of empowering youth to grow through chess. This month, he is celebrating 25 years as a chess coach, no mean feat. An expert-rated player himself, he has authored several books, including Fried Liver and Burning Pants, Curious But True Chess Stories and the Lessons We Learned from Them. Last year, he introduced Coach Jay's Chess Academy, a complete curriculum which can be found at CoachJay'sChessAcademy.com. He is a member of the U.S. Chess Scholastic Committee, the Development Committee, and the College Chess Committee. He also is the man who beat me to the top of Phoenix Mountain on a 110-degree day on a hike during the 2015 U.S. Open. Welcome to the show, Coach Jay. Hey, Dan. Thanks for that nice introduction. It's great to be on the show. Well, it's great to have you. And, uh, you know, let's start at the beginning. How did you get started in chess? Um, my dad. Uh, my dad was the 1963 Florida State champion. Um, I was born a few years later. And uh, when we were young, myself and my brothers were exposed to chess with my dad. And, of course, the first time that I beat my older brother at something, at anything in life, it was chess. And, and uh, I realized, okay, maybe this should be something for me. And and uh, started playing with my dad on a very regular basis and um, played him thousands and thousands of games before I even beat him. And um, and I learned a lot from that and, and also was able to give my, in the future, give my students something to, uh, to realize that you have to lose a lot in order to, to learn. How old were you when you beat him for the first time? I was, I, I'm pretty sure that I was nine, um, maybe 10 years old. So I, I guess, let's see. I mean, I guess it was closer to 10, actually, because um, I know I was near 1,700. And and he was at his strength. Um, his peak was about 2140. And uh, and so he was uh, he was a solid, solid player. And, and I liked... As a youth, as you know, young players often do, I like to play tactics and sacrifices. And my heroes were Alexander Alakine and Mikhail Tall. And and uh, I love the, the flashy play. Were there any real um, uh, Cuban emigres in Florida that, at the time that were competing in the state championship? Or you know, what, what was the Florida chess scene like in 63 when he became state champ? It was interesting in 63 um, it, that, that it actually wasn't very... Um, mixed at all. And, um, you know, when I looked through the, the names of the players that my dad faced, they were all pretty much names, European names. Um, you, there weren't, um, I don't think any Hispanic names, uh, Latin American, you know, 
none of that kind of stuff. And, um, the players, my dad had stories about every one of them and, and all of them seemed to be from, uh, this city in Florida or that city in Florida. And he, you know, met him at this college or that. And so, yeah, it was, uh, I think, I guess a pretty, um, dry scene, you might say. I don't know. And eventually you ended up as a chess coach in 1994. As, as I mentioned, you're celebrating your 25th anniversary that this very month. So congratulations on that. Thanks. Yeah, that that was, um, you know, a long time ago. And yet it was just yesterday. And, and uh, you know, the movie Searching for Bobby Fischer had come out in 93. And my wife said to me, and I remember we were on a walk and she said, you know, everybody is going to want their child to learn how to play chess, um, with this movie. And so she said, you know, you, you like uh, coaching soccer, you're good at chess and, um, maybe you should teach a class. And so I just decided to teach a single class, put a tiny ad in a local paper. And we had, uh, had 35 kids sign up for the class on this little tiny ad. And, um, I was shocked. And, and then, um, a few to four days before the first class, the earthquake hit. This was the Northridge quake in 1994. And, um, we actually had eight kids drop the class. It was a very traumatic experience for us in Valencia, California. And, uh, and so eight kids dropped the class, but those kids that stayed in the class, uh, many of them, I'm still friends with them today and Facebook friends with them. Um, they're, you know, they're now in their thirties and, and, uh, approaching 40, some have kids and uh, I even um, was the officiant for one of their weddings. So um, I, I, that's some, something that's gone on all the way through all my coaching is I try to maintain the friendships with the families that come through our program. Certainly glad you didn't view the earthquake as a sign from the chess gods that they did not want you to be a <laughs> chess coach. <laughs> yeah, I definitely shook things up, but, um, but no, I, I think it was something a lot of parents uh, said, no, we need something right now that is a distraction and, and something that's consistent. So, so it was a good thing. For people that aren't familiar, like myself, tell, what is the uh, metropolitan area of Valencia? What's, what's the nearest major city? Um, how big is it? So we're in um, Santa Clarita Valley, which is north of the valley, um, the San Fernando Valley, um, which is just, you know, over the hills from downtown Los Angeles. And so there's two sets of, of um, hills or little, little mountains between us and Los Angeles. And so uh, those are people that from Los Angeles or that are familiar with Southern California, Magic Mountain is a theme park there and it is in Santa Clarita Valley. So that's just five minutes from our house. And one of the things, uh, the purposes of this show is to give people ideas and uh, techniques for uh, establishing chess in their own schools and communities. And and one of the things I was wanting to talk to you about later, but I'm going to jump it forward now, is overcoming adversity uh, as you're trying to get a program off the ground. So you, you, you had, you know, this... Uh, very traumatic incident with the earthquake happening that caused people to to drop out of a, a fledgling program. But also, um, I, I saw that in your um, Promoting to Queens program, that you guys applied for a grant, you had plans for that, uh, and that the uh, grant did not come through. And so you had to kind of pivot. Right. So so talk a bit about what what you have to do to 
get a program off the ground when you're going to face these inevitable hurdles? Well, I mean, I, I think being a chess player helps us to be prepared for problems and solving problems. And uh, I know that, you know, playing thousands and thousands of games of chess over the years has helped prepare me for a mentality, a, a state of mind that just says, keep going forward, keep looking for solutions. And so when that earthquake hit, for example, we were in the mall's community room for two weeks before the Red Cross kicked us out and said, you know, we have to have this facility uh, for all the earthquake recovery efforts. And so suddenly we were out on our ear and I started reaching out to people in the community and uh, called a computer tutoring place where they were teaching people how to use computers back in the day. Not everybody had a computer in their house. And, um, and they said, great, come on, you can use our place. And, um, after the first week, they just gave us the keys to the place and said, you know, um, lock up when you leave. And so, uh, that was, it was a nice thing when, uh, you actually have to make the effort and ask and, uh, tell people, what it is that you're, you're wanting to do. And of course the case, in the case of chess, it's easy. There's a lot of arguments why people should have chess in their community and all the, you know, all the different benefits that the game has. And you definitely want to have a, a community of thinkers of problem solvers, not people who whine about problems, but people who look for solutions instead. And that's, that's what chess players are. And so, yeah, later on we did apply for that, the grant for the promoting the Queens program. And that was, you know, that was frustrating because uh, grants are often graded on points and you get a certain amount of points for this or for that. And um, you need a letter of recommendation. You get a certain amount of points you get, you need um, a certain amount of, of children that will be affected. And I think that, um, you know, in the end you had just, you, you have to, follow those very carefully when we didn't get that grant then yeah we did pivot um i talked to some of the people that we had coming to visit and i also talked to sean's fund which is a branch of california youth chess league that teaches chess in hospitals and i talked to um the board of directors and said hey can we use some of these funds for the girls and they said sure no problem and, and then we had players like Tatev Abrahamian donating our time saying, you know, Jay, I, I totally understand you didn't get the grant. I'm happy to donate my time to be there for the girls. And wow, what a, a great inspiration she was for, for those kids. You mentioned Sean's fund. Um, I, I know a little bit about this story. Uh, sure. Yeah. Sean, Sean, Sean Reeder was um, the strongest player in our program at a time when we had about a thousand players in the program and we weren't a program that focused a lot on getting kids up to be grandmasters or anything like that. We've always just tried to grow chess and get the kids to enjoy the game, to love the game. And those that want to compete, we give them the tools to be able to do that. And Sean was at the time around 1300, which uh, 13 years ago was our, our strongest player. And he was diagnosed with leukemia just a couple days before we went to the national championships, the super nationals in 2005, the third super nationals. And, um, the doctor said he could go, 
off we went and um, our team tied for second in the K6 championship division. And it was a great accomplishment. Uh, I think it was a surprise for a lot of, of teams that had never heard of us. Um, the kids worked really hard and that was a, a big testament to Sean and his leadership. He, uh, he was playing against future grandmaster Mark Tyler Arnold in the final round of that championship. And, and, uh, it was kind of a, a foreboding of things that would come as, as he had vanquished a lot of opponents that were considered stronger than him. But in the end, there was an opponent that, that he just couldn't quite beat. And, and that's what happened a year later. Um, when he lost his battle to leukemia and, and Sean's, Sean's parents decided to set up a fund in his honor. And so we set up Sean's fund that at first just offered financial aid to kids and programs that, um, that, you know, couldn't afford our chess programs, couldn't afford camp, couldn't afford a tournament, things like that. And so Sean's fund paid for that. And we'd have small little dinners and ask people to donate and, Sean's name. And that was the beginning of it. And then one of Sean's former teammates was going for his Eagle Scout and he had a big spaghetti dinner and had this great idea that we could take these chest bags to the kids in children's hospital in Los Angeles. And that's what we started to do. And we've been doing it ever since and spread it out to other hospitals and such and, and spread the mission of what we do in Sean's fund so that it also hosts annually the master junior simul, which is a competition in which we have four uh, grandmasters or international masters. Those four each have a team of six players and then they go up in a Swiss system, a two round Swiss against the other teams. But the grandmaster plays simultaneously against the other six players, the young, the juniors. So there's 24 juniors competing and four title players. And that's been a great thing. Sean loved that event. He played in it himself. And then, um, and now Sean's fund sponsors that. And it really brings the chess community together. The kids competing in an event um, side by side. Uh, and these kids, by the way, are the average ratings over 2000 of the 24 kids that compete. And so they're very, very strong players. Some of America's best players. And they're playing side by side, building that camaraderie among themselves but also connecting the generations as they get to build a friendship, a, a nice relationship with the titled players that are there um, playing with them. And it's a, it's just a fun event. There's, you know, obviously no rating. And so a lot of that stress that people associate with, Oh no, am I going to lose rating points that goes out the window. Um, and there's always fun stories from it. You know, a, uh, you know, little Annie Wang, you know, as a, a six year old, you know, taking, you know, Armin Ombart Sumian down to the the final second on his clock and, you know, different things like that. So just, uh, just fun stuff, fun community building things. And Sean's fund has done a lot to change the chess community and also to brighten a lot of, of, uh, kids faces and children's hospital and now Shriners hospital and, uh, city of hope as well. Yeah, no, that's a, a, a really sweet story and, and, and taking such a tragic event and turning it into something, uh, positive community wide is, is, uh, I think what, what we're all about with our various mission statements in chess, in the chess world. For sure. Yes. I'm, I'm curious, uh, how easy or difficult is it to, over, to, to get permission to go into a, someplace like a children's hospital, uh, and, and, and do a chess program? 
you know, it was it was easier right at the beginning, um, and then there was an outbreak of a flu that caused all the hospitals to tighten their rules, and so it became a little tougher. I think the bigger the hospital, the more rules they're going to have. Uh, smaller hospitals uh, are typically going to allow you to come in more, and and a lot of the times they they get hammered by people that that want to come in, you know, people just, you know, we want to come and we want to come, we want to come. And then they come in, but they've never really done anything like it before. And maybe they're not quite good at it. They can't um, handle a group. They, they, uh, they're not prepared for what a hospital environment's like. Um, and they do it one time and then they never see them again. And so um, I think the fact that we got our foot in the door before all the rules came up was a big thing that helped us be able to continue to go back and spread. And once you're in one hospital, you can mention it to the other hospitals and tell them how long you've been doing it. Um, and so I, I'd recommend anybody out there that, you know, wants through the goodness of their heart to do these kinds of things, to start small um, and grow from there. And uh, by learning from those experiences of teaching in hospitals or senior center centers or things like that, learn from that, grow from it, and then, use that experience to leverage your opportunities to be able to volunteer even more and, and uh, take a bigger team that you've trained and such like that. And speaking of growing, uh, one of the things I love about your story is, you know, after 25 years of teaching, you're, you're still innovating and, you know, coach Jay's Academy is uh, a ma- I, I would call it a major initiative that you, you launched this last year. So let, let's get into that. Tell, tell people what it's all about, uh, well, what, how they can access it, et cetera. Yeah, thanks, Dan. Um, it's, um, it's something that actually started in 1996 um, as far as me doing coaching. Uh, books for, for my students. I used to do sheets and hand them out and send them home. And I would just go into Microsoft Word and, and use a, a chess font to create positions and stuff, uh, teach a lesson, give it to the kids and send them home. And then one day, a parent came in to pick up her child. And I still remember the day. It was a, it's a horrific memory for me that, that I learned a lot from. And, and she said, uh, I just wanted to come in and, and see how Kevin's doing. And I said, great, let's go watch the end of his game. He's playing over there. We had our lesson earlier, now he's playing. And we stood there and watched Kevin. And luckily, mom didn't know how to play. But for me, watching Kevin move his knights diagonally one square and jump his king three squares across the board, you know, and just illegal moves one after another with an opponent that was not even recognizing that he was making illegal moves, I realized, oh, wow. There's kids that are are slipping between the cracks here, and I need a, a a written curriculum, and I need the kids to have books so that I can check their progress in between, eat from week to week, and and see who's catching on and who could use a little extra help. And so I immediately put a book together, and um and ever since then I've just been trying to improve on it little by little. And um one of my students that was in that very first class of mine, the week of the earthquake. He came back to work with me uh, for a short time in between going to school and getting his MBA. And he, uh, he saw all of my files of all the lessons I created over the years. And he said, wow, you have to do something with this. And so um, we started 
to work together to create an app. And so I made this chess app, Coach Jay's Chess Academy, and had 100,000 downloads before the OS got outdated and the programmer said, it's going to be $20,000 to to do a new one. And so I said, okay, goodbye to the app. Um, but in the meantime, um, over 100,000 downloads and coaches across the U.S. were you know, relaying stories. Oh yeah, we use your app. I mean, I just got an email this morning, somebody saying, Hey, it's not in the Android store. You know, where is it? Um, so then the funny thing that happened, we went to nationals and they said, people, the coaches were saying, Oh, this app's great, but do you have it in printed form? Because, you know, I want to be able to have it handed to the students and, and for them to be able to take it home when it's finished and for us to be able to look back and review and, for us to be able to grade it, all those kinds of things. And so I thought, wow, okay, um, printed. It's, it seemed kind of backwards to go from an app back to that. But um, I started doing that, and it was well-received, but not getting out there very big. And so then we decided to do a Kickstarter to really do a very professional production of the books. And uh, we raised $30,000 last fall. And with that $30,000, we were able to hire – uh, an excellent uh, layout artist that just um, she's becoming um, greatly admired in the chess world as everybody sees the books and realizes, wow, chess books don't have to look like textbooks. And, um, you know, these books for the kids, they, they open them up and they actually want to work on them. And, and so uh, we have a great illustrator, great graphic artist, a great layout artist, and then um, and then I had people checking my content too. I had uh, national master Larry Smith uh, check content and and just kind of catch things that are that I you know just were I was too close to see that it, they may not have been making sense this concept or that one and um, and the books are are bright and colorful and they go from white belt to black belt at seven levels and each one has a lesson book and a puzzle pack and I'm. Um, I'm thrilled to tell you that uh, that this year, from since last May, we've shipped sixteen thousand books, and um, and the the coaches are loving them and getting fantastic reviews back. And um, I had I had one coach tell me he said I I think uh, they're the best Scholastic chess books ever, and and he says and I have them all I think <laughs> so you know so I I'm very happy with them. Um, after years of teaching and evolving the books, I'm. I'm thrilled at where they're at, and and um, the the coaches are uh, seem to be very happy with them as well, and the and the parents and players. So so yeah, it's been a, a fun ride this last year. And you, I think you always have to be evolving in order to keep it fun for yourself and to keep it interesting and fun for the students. And so, if somebody wants to get the the books, is Coach Jay's ChessAcademy dot com the best place, the only place? It is. That's the place to go. You can also get them through the U.S. Chess Store. Um, and uh, right now, that those are the the two places that you can go online to buy them. At some point, they'll be on Amazon. But um, but right now, uh, just through CoachJaysChessAcademy.com or through uh, U.S. Chess Sales, you can go in and get them there. And that website is USCFSales.com. And purchases there do help the U.S. Chess Federation. So please do consider that if you're looking to purchase it. Definitely. Using this as potentially as a tool, um, if someone's listening and says, you know what, I we don't seem to have any chess activity in my town or in my school. I'd really like to get it going. Uh, 
what would some be some of the initial steps you would recommend to a parent or a teacher? Yeah, um, definitely look at programs that have worked, uh, look at successful programs and, and try to mimic what they've done. You want to, um, you know, look at your own community and try to determine what it is that you want to do. You, I have a, a, a website called chesscoachresource.com and that one has some helpful links on it. Um, some advice from yours truly, but, but great links written by, um, coaches, articles, blogs by coaches, by parents and, uh, links you to different periodicals, um, that you can download or ask to have sent to you that have a lot of information for, for people to be able to, to help them get started with the chess club. But, I think um, the age-old, you know, go to the library, go to the community center, uh, go to a pizza parlor, and um, ask to if you can set up there. Um, send flyers out. Make sure your flyers um, have images of lots of smiles and fun chess pieces on them. Um, and then, you know, as you start to teach, make sure you're having fun with it. Uh, it's a dialogue. You're you're not. Um, you're not lecturing about astrophysics. You're, you know, if you're starting with kids, at least you, you want to make sure that it's a dialogue going back and forth and that you're having a great time. You, you are having fun and then they'll have fun as well. And, um, you know, not a bunch of work, 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 but definitely mix it up with a bunch of fun activities for the kids. And you absolutely don't have to be a chess player yourself if, if you're wanting to get it into your, your school or, or community center. It's just you have to have some organization ability and maybe the ability to recruit some, some chess teachers to, to help you out. Right, for sure. And, and, um, and yeah, and, and when you're re- out there recruiting chess coaches, um, people that are going to coach, look beyond the, the you know, chess masters, uh, chess experts and, um, you know, some of them, the best coaches that have worked for me are, are not, um, strong players at all. You know, they might be rated 800, um, but they haven't played in a rated tournament for a while, but they, they know how to connect with the students and they keep eye contact. They have great class management skills and things like that. And so, um, I think, you know, every experienced chess coach, that's been working for a while, even the ones that are rated 2,400 will tell you that if they're hiring a chess coach to go and work in the schools or do a, a program, a community program, the number one thing they're looking for is somebody who can, can handle a class and keep them engaged as opposed to somebody who knows how to mate with a knight and bishop. We, we talked about your promoting to Queens program earlier. Uh, U.S. Chess is extremely interested in in uh, increasing the participation of girls in chess. Uh, it's, it's a constant frustration to us that so many girls start out um, in first, second, and third grade, and then it very quickly drops off. Um, and, and we end up, um, by high school age, only about 4% uh, or so of, of players are, are girls. And we're, we're, we're trying to turn that around. Obviously, you started this program because you saw uh, a similar... right. Uh, demographic in California. So uh, what, what, what was going on? What, what was your impetus? Uh, and what's going on currently with that program? Yeah. Um, my impetus was exactly what you said. It, it, I saw that, that the girls were not, uh, getting as involved as the boys. And, um, you know, some of it 
is a self-fulfilling prophecy. You know, you, the girls come in, but there's less girls there, so then they don't stay. And so you have to find ways to kind of make it stick with them. Uh, the girls that you do have in the program, uh, you want to make sure that they have nice role models that they're looking up to. Because if they look around and all they see is Magnus and Fabiano and Hikaru, then they might wonder, is this, you know, the right world for me? Even if that wondering is only hap- you know, happening underneath the surface and uh, they're not wondering it out loud. But if you have, you know, people like Tatev Abrahamian and Irina Krush, who's just excellent with the kids as well, um, and Sabina Foyser, uh, you know, those uh, coaches out there are fantastic. You know, in New York City, you've got a lot of of um, chess playing females playing chess. Beatrice Marinello and um, Sophia Road, you know, coaching there, and Adia Yongo, the chess traveler. Uh, there's a lot of fun people that are that are doing chess in New York. Fun women that are great examples for the kids, and and I think New York probably has better ratios. Um, because of that. And, and LA has pretty good ratios itself because of, of Tatev and some of the other players out here that, that have come before and Annie Wang and Vanessa West who played here. Uh, but without that, those role models, a lot of times you'll see a chess club of 25 boys um, and no girls. And it might be in a smaller community where there, there is no female who has, has become a role model for, for the young girls there. And so, um, so yeah, I'm definitely trying to overcome that. And it's difficult, um, especially since another thing that's difficult that us chess knows that they struggle with is keeping kids in chess when they're starting to hit 12 years old, 13 years old, and they start to pick one activity. Uh, you know, when your kid is seven years old, you put them in Taekwondo, piano, Chinese lessons, chess, tennis, and, and, you know, soccer, all these different activities. But as they get to be older, you say, okay, what is my child enjoying? Uh, what can we afford? Or, you know, what works best with our schedule? And so you have to, you know, the parents start to pick and choose. And every activity starts to, to break down as they get older. I mean, chess isn't the only one. Soccer and Chinese and jiu-jitsu they all suffer the same thing that they're all losing kids at that age because they're picking one thing we just want them to also stay in chess and um to pick that as well and and maybe even if they go to a more casual level but uh, typically i found if they amp their game up they're going to stick around a little bit and it's just not happening as much with with the girls in chess that that they're doing that but if we can can keep them engaged uh, I like team tournaments. Team tournaments are good. Uh, the all-girls tournament in Chicago is fantastic. I'd love to see that uh, spread out and held in more places across the nation. Um, but I think it's it's a battle that we're continuing to fight. But with the, the women's committee, uh, with Kimberly uh, Dumcvay and uh, Maureen Grimaud, uh and Carolina Blanco and uh, Sophia Road again, all those guys working together on that women's committee are, are doing some great stuff to, to really promote chess and um, for the girls. And 
And uh, I think it's building friendships at nationals that keeps the, the girls coming back as well. And listeners, if you're interested in, in reading more about what's happening with U.S. Chess Women's Initiatives, at our website, uschess.org, at the very top, there's a tab called Community. And under that, you'll see a link to women. And there's a, a lot of articles uh, about what's happening in the world of U.S. Chess Women. And that leads me to uh, one other th- interesting aspect of the work you're doing in the chess world, and it's all your your volunteer committee work for U.S. Chess. I, I mentioned you're on the uh, college and the uh, Scholastic Council and Development Committee. I, I think that a lot of people um, who are you know maybe just interested in playing chess don't realize what a established governance structure we have in U.S. Chess. So you know, talk a little bit about what's involved. What, let's start with the Scholastic Committee, and you know, what what does the Scholastic Committee do? What's difference between the Scholastic Committee and the Scholastic Council? Anything that might be of interest? Very good. Yeah, and first, I'll, I'll, a small correction: I'm not on the College Committee at this time, um, although it's it's something that I've made sure that they know that I'm there to help out in any way that I possibly can. I'm, um, sometimes you get too many committees that you're on, and um, and you're therefore just uh, not able to participate as much in a single the the ones that where you you have more expertise um but i it, coincidentally i was at the pan ams yesterday i'm in san francisco where those are taking place and it's december 30th today and the final day of the pan ams is happening and and uh, really exciting to stop by there um to check that out with all those guys that do such great work and um, but in any, back to your question, the, the scholastic committee and the council, the committee is about 30, a little bit more, uh, scholastic people from across the United States. And those people are selected by the council, um, or recommended by the council, the executive board then approves that recommendation. And the council is seven members from the committee who have been elected as the leaders of the scholastic community and scholastic committee and the council is there to to set up different uh different changes and rules within our events and the directions maybe that we're looking so for example when the time control changed at nationals um a few years ago that was uh something that came from the committee um went up to the council reviewed by the council, uh, asked back to the committee and, and back like that kind of thing. And until we worked out what that should be, uh, some of the rule changes as far as, um, you might be writing your move down before you play the move or, um, what can, 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 uh, constitutes a homeschool team, um, a, a school team. Can you have homeschool? Those are different issues that the scholastic council, will tackle um, with it uh, input from the committee as well. And then the committee members do things like uh, judge the uh, chess player scholar awards. So they'll read through all those essays and look at those and vote on who's going to win those awards. And the different committee members help spread the word that's coming down from the council and also from the, the, director, executive director, and, and from the executive board, whenever there's the need to help get that word out, the committee is a good starting place for that, um, to spread that across. And each state has a scholastic coordinator as well. And, um, those are nice focal points for 
U.S. chess to hit. And if you are in a state and you would like to know about chess in your area, that's a great place to start is the scholastic coordinator for your state. And you can find that list on the U.S. chess website. And the development committee is a, uh, a fairly new entity at U.S. chess. We have a new uh, development director uh, that was just hired a few months ago for U.S. chess. His name is uh, Jeff Isaac. What, what are the plans on that committee? Yeah, the development committee um, has been around for a couple years, but it's, uh, we haven't been very active. And, and then with the change in the directorship, uh, changes in the executive board and things like that, the, our mission on the development committee um, changed a bit. And they, they had hired a consultant to come in and help to identify things. And that kind of, it didn't get off the ground as much as I, um, I know that they wanted it to. And so now that they've gone out and, and, and Ms. Meyer, Carol Meyer, the executive director of US Chess has, um, has hired uh, Jeff to come in and really go after uh, sponsorships and um, donations and, and, you know, come up with a whole plan. And, and that's what he's been doing all his life. He's a professional at that. And, and he and, and Ms. Meyer are working together to, to get that done, but they're coming to us on the development committee to talk about who, who is out there, first of all, that they could possibly talk to. And, and they've tasked us, for example, right now, you know, to come back and say, you know, who are people that you might know in businesses that might be interested in sponsorship? And so we go back, we bring, bring those names and introductions to Jeff um, and to Carol, and then they can um, decide, you know, what's the best approach on how to talk to them about uh, sponsorships of U.S. chess and the different programs within U.S. chess. And so the development committee is, is there because, um, you, you know, it takes a village, I guess, you know, you, you need need people and especially people who know the community not just the chess community but also um the you know different communities within the ones that they work in and um it could be a high tech person or could be somebody in a legal field or something like that but you want to have a, a nice range of people that are there to contribute to the development committee and since we're still in the holiday season, I'll, I'll mention this to our listeners. Um, we, we, if you go to uschess.org, there is a nice big donate button on, on our homepage at the upper right. Uh, you're, if you're a member of the organization, those membership fees just go to our basic operating expenses. It's the extra donations that you're, you may make that allow us to really fulfill our, our U.S. chess mission and get other programs out there like bringing more women and girls into chess. Yeah, definitely. I, I highly encourage people to go and hit that donate button and and make a difference and, uh, and bring chess to more people to help us to grow the game across the United States. So this is going to sound a little bit like a what have you done for us lately question, uh, Jay, but... You know, you've, you have done a lot and uh, you seem like you're highly energetic and filled with ideas. So I'm, I'm curious, what, what do you see the future for, uh, for Coach Jay? What, what do you have on the horizon? Ah, thanks. For, I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> well, uh, obviously, I'm, I'm trying to get the word out about um, the book series that, that I have there. Um, one of the things that you notice, you know, if you have a product sometimes is that you get surprised that people haven't even heard of it. Um, even though you've been working hard on it, it's been the biggest thing in your life lately, you know, but it, um, so that 
people out there that just aren't aware. So I, I am going to spend some time promoting it, but I've had a lot of call for people that want to know how to be a better teacher. And so I'm doing some coach trainings coming up. I have one with, um, about 30 coaches in the Bay area, uh, coming up January 10th. And then, um, we're doing a, a coaching consortium the next day where some of the coaches from the area, uh, just getting together to talk about, uh, different ways to be the most effective coaches possible. And I'm working on, uh, producing a series of blogs and videos that will help people to be the best chess coaches they can be. And some of it will be the general advice of making sure that when you approach a school and that you start working with a school that you're, um, you endear yourself to the office managers, um, and the custodians and not just a principal, um, but, you know, make sure that, that everybody there at the, on the campus knows that you understand that you're a guest and that you're trying to uh, do the best you can for their students. So piece of advice like that, those are the kinds of things that I'm going to be putting out there in, in these videos and these blogs to have like a newsletter to help people to realize um, that you can continually improve. And I know that even though I've been doing this for 25 years, that Every day, I, I, I was thinking this morning about some ideas. Oh, you know what? I need to do this. I need to make sure that, you know, in this case, in this morning, you know, I need to make sure that all my my employees and all the people that I've worked throughout this year that I'm, you know, making sure that they understand how thankful and grateful I am for the things that they've done to help me have a successful year. And so. You know, it's something that I don't do on a regular basis. So I'm trying to learn and improve myself. And we can all, I think, improve at everything we do every day. And so um, I'm looking to expand with those videos and the blogs. And um, and there will be some more books coming out. And, yes, there will be another app coming out as well. But I think the app's a little ways down the line. It could be a year away or so. Um, and uh, in the meantime, get the books out there and get the blogs and the newsletter for for coaches and potential coaches and the videos so that people can see how to teach my material, but also uh, some videos just helping them to understand how to work in, in a chess community and be the best chess coach they can be. Well, Jay, that all sounds so exciting. And even though we've covered earthquakes and flu epidemics, uh, <laughs> this has been a very positive conversation. And I, I think our listeners have a lot of uh, that they can digest and take away and, and use in their own lives. So, so thank you so much for joining us. Oh, it's my pleasure. And I'd like to invite your listeners to contact me um, with any questions that they may have about uh, coaching chess and about Sean's Fund or about promoting the Queens, anything at all. And, and they can reach me. Uh, through that website, CoachJaysChessAcademy.com, or, or simply send a, an email to CoachJ at CoachJaysChessAcademy.com. And congratulations again on 25 years of doing good work in chess. Thanks a lot, Dan. I really appreciate it, and, and uh, keep up the great work. Thank you, too. Bye-bye. Goodbye. 
It is time to announce the winner of this month's contest, generously sponsored by U.S. Chess Sales, which you can find online at uscfsales.com. Congratulations to David Seichel of Florida. Your $50 gift certificate should now be in your email inbox. If you want a chance to win a $50 gift certificate to uscfsales.com, send your name and phone number to podcast at uschess.org with one move at a time as your subject line, and please include a question or comment. The winner will be selected at random from all of this month's entries. Thank you for joining us on this January edition of One Move at a Time, which always drops on the second Tuesday of each month. The February edition will be available on February 12th, and make sure to listen to our companion podcast, Cover Stories with Chess Life. The January edition of that show is currently available at the podcast link on uschess.org. Simply click on CLO, then see the categories list on the right. Our theme music was composed by National Master Alex King of Memphis, Tennessee. I hope you've learned something of value that you can now use to help build chess in your own community. We will be back in February with another chess world personality who is helping to empower people through chess one move at a time.